is she who must be obeyed with our bread and butter when prospects are looking bleak when my tray in the clerk's room is bare of briefs but loaded with those unpleasant-looking buff envelopes doshed out at regular intervals by her majesty the queen it is comforting to know that somewhere in the greater london area some timpson will be up to some sort of minor villainy and owing to the general incompetence of the clan the malefactor concerned will no doubt be in immediate need of legal representation Hugh Snakelegs Timpson was, at that time, the family's official fence, having taken over the post from his uncle Percy Timpson, who was getting a good deal past it, and had retired to live in Benidorm. Snakelegs, a thin, elegant man in his forties, a former winner of the Mr. Debonair contest at Butlin's holiday camp, had earned his name from his talent of the tango, he lived with his wife, Hetty, in a semi-detached house in Bromley, to which Detective Inspector Broom, the well-known terror of the Timpsons, set out on a voyage of discovery with his faithful detective, Sergeant Cosgrove. At first, Inspector New Broom had drawn a blank at the Timpson home. Even the huge coffin-shaped freezer seemed to contain nothing but innumerable bags full of frozen vegetables. The eager inspector had the bright idea of thawing some of these provisions, however, and was rewarded by the spectacle of articles of Georgian silver arising from the saucepans of boiling peas in the manner of Venus arising from the sea. The defence of Hugh Snakelegs Timpson had not been going particularly well. The standard receiver's story... I got the old lot from a bloke in a pub who was selling them off cheap and whose name I cannot for the life of me recall. Was treated with undisguised contempt by his honour, Judge Roger Bullingham, who asked, with the ponderous cynicism accompanied by an undoubted wink at the jury, of which he is master, if I were not going to suggest that there had been a shower of sugar sifters, cream jugs and the like, from the back of a lorry, Anyway, if got innocently, why was the silver in the deep freezer? I told the jury that an Englishman's freezer was his castle, and that there was no reason on earth why a citizen shouldn't keep his valuables in a bag of bird's-eye peas at a low temperature. Indeed, I added, as I thought helpfully, I had an old aunt who kept odd-pound notes in the tea caddy, and constantly risked boiling up her savings in a pot of Darjeeling. At this, the mad bull went an even darker shade of purple. His neck swelled visibly so that it seemed about to burst his yellowing winged collar. And he told the jury that my aunt was not evidence, and that they must, in reaching a decision, dismiss entirely anything Mr. Rumpole may have said about his curious family. Adding, with a whole battery of near nudges and almost winks, I expect our saner relatives know the proper place for their valuables in the bank. At this point, the bull decided to interrupt my final speech by adjourning for tea and television in his private room, and I was left to wander disconsolately in the direction of Pomeroy's wine bar, where I met that notable opera buff and wine connoisseur, half-hearted prosecutor and inept defender, the spouse and helpmeet of Philida Erskine Brown, Q.C. Philida Trent, as was the Porsche of our chambers, 
had put his nose somewhat out of joint by taking silk and leaving poor old Claude, ten years older than she, a humble junior. So there I was, raising yet another glass of Chateau Thames embankment to my lips, and telling Claude that the only real advantage of this particular vintage was that it was quite likely to get you drunk. The purpose of drinking wine is not intoxication, Rumpo. Erskine Brown looked as pained as a prelate who is told that his congregation only came to church because of the central heating. The point is to get in touch with one of the major influences of Western civilization, to taste sunlight trapped in a bottle, and to remember some stony slope in Tuscany or a village by the Gironde. I thought with a momentary distaste of the bit of barren soil, no doubt placed between the cowshed and the pissoir, where the Chateau Pomeroy grape struggled for existence.